all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. morning and thanks for being with us this morning on this lovely fall November morning. I am Dr. Susan Buttress. I'm professor of pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today I really do want to delve deeper into our focus on men's mental health. November continues to be Men's Mental Health Month. And as I think you all know, men often don't seek help for their mental illness. It maybe feels like a sign of weakness. But the real truth is that having a family member with mental illness is difficult for everyone. And avoiding treatment that might be helpful ends up being more of a selfish act than a tough act. It's not protective, but what it does is often pushes individuals away from you. Yet, uh, there are these age-old patterns that prevent men from seeking that help. And so today, we're going to talk about how we can change those patterns. You know, in last week's show, when we were talking about mental health, there were a couple of things I just want to remind you about as we move into our discussion about making sure that the men that we love get the help that they need. So men and women suffer from mental health conditions at almost the same rates. In fact, men more often die by suicide than women at a five times higher rate. We all have probably had a man in our life, perhaps a father, a brother, a significant other who has suffered from mental illness, maybe depression or anxiety, maybe OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder or bipolar disorder, or, or even schizophrenia. And I think anyone who has dealt with an individual with a disorder like that knows that it's not easy. Um, first of all, I want to say it's not easy on the individual who has a diagnosis. That's tough because you have to deal with not feeling good when you think you should, not feeling stable when you see no reason for the instability, um, not feeling happy when everything around you is maybe good. And so why does that happen? So I don't want us 
as we move through this discussion to forget the fact that the person with the mental illness is ill. It's just like a physical illness. And so it's something that needs to be addressed, sometimes with medication, often, almost always with counseling to help move through it. And so I want us to make sure, and I'm happy to answer any questions about that as we move through, make sure that we we remember the person with the difficulty. But also, I want to talk about the individuals around the men that we love in our lives, whether it's a son or a brother or a father or a spouse or a lover, somebody out there. So... We need to to talk through that as we move along. And, you know, at the end of the show last week, um, our callers came in later, and we unfortunately didn't get to get to the last one uh, that I thought was a really, really good question. And so Abram Nanny, who is my producer and with us today. Hi, Abram. Hey, Doc. How's it going? Good. Thanks for being with us. I asked Abram if he could pull that call up for us to listen to so that we could maybe talk through this and maybe it will help others out there. But I also want you to remember that we want you to call in with your questions or your thoughts, your comments, uh, either about you or about someone you care about. But, okay, I'll stop, and let's play that question. Well, I'll just say um, thanks so much for covering this topic. I'm I'm married to a firefighter who's been diagnosed with um, depression and PTSD, anxiety, and uh, definitely am experiencing a lot of what y'all talk about. And, you know, my question is really, it feels like sometimes those who are closest to someone struggling with this are maybe the least well-positioned to be the support we want to be, and just if you have any thoughts about that, that, our wife is trying to support her husband. Okay. So, yes, that that is a wonderful question. And the caller, and I'd I'd love it if she'd call back, um, because it'd be nice to, to be able to ask some questions as we move through. Okay. Our caller said that she has a husband who is a firefighter who suffers from anxiety and depression and um, some PTSD symptoms, so post-traumatic stress disorder. And let me just remind all of you, many times with PTSD, there are significant situations that have affected that individual that you can identify. Sometimes it's ongoing continual, unrelenting stress like that of a first responder um, and how they often have to experience it. And what can happen when you have PTSD are instances like panic attacks, like horrible nightmares, um, intractable trouble with sleep and depression and and those feelings of that fight or flight continually resurfacing, even when you suppress him. And sometimes I come out of the blue. Sometimes you do fine, you're great, and then there's a small trigger that comes up that turns into something huge. And 
and it can significantly affect you. So, so uh, reminder, that's what it is. And there are probably many individuals out there who suffer from it. Probably, again, more men than women because more men are first responders and more men um, fight the wars that that are that that we fight. I know women are involved too, so know that we certainly understand that. So there are there are a lot of data out there that have looked at exactly what our caller mentioned, that the people closest to you often are the ones who struggle the most with having to deal with the issues. And and maybe before we get to how to deal with that, we need to talk about that. Why do you think that the people you're closest to are the ones who have the most difficulty? Um, it's because there's so many emotions that are wrapped up into all of this. Often it has to do with the fact that perhaps, as I mentioned, that that male sometimes and and women don't take this wrong but i think we still are are in an age where often the men the men are leaned on more as head of household um, more for the livelihood not always i know there are a lot of women out there who are the primary breadwinners but in general i think that one, if you really looked at it, especially in our southern region, there there are a lot of men out there. Abram, would you agree with that? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, Abram's much younger than I am. And I know we've had an evolution and we have stay at home dads, which is a wonderful thing. And we have um, women who have taken their profession to the top and so rely on their spouse to to help take care of it. We have same-sex couples and all of that. So, But typically there is someone who is identified as that that lead. When it's the man, often they feel like they're they're letting their significant other down. They're letting their household down. And sometimes there is also on, for example, the, the wife stress of that individual now having to take on some of the issues because that individual, that husband or significant other with depression or anxiety is not performing well. And all of a sudden, they're having to take on, you know, maybe paying the bills, maybe being the breadwinner, maybe just taking on now instead of half the household chores, all of the household chores. And so there might be maybe a little resentment going on. But there also might be, even before that happens, some denial from the individual who is suffering from the depression or anxiety that it's really there. It's changing their mood. It's changing their behavior and it's changing their function. But they don't want to admit that something's wrong. Now, that is added stress 
to every single person around you. When you see a personality change in an, in an individual who you care about and who maybe has been incredibly supportive and loving to you, all of the sudden, pull back, withdraw, not do what they normally do, and make you feel alone, even when you are not alone, and lonely even when there is somebody right there in the house with you. So those are the issues that I think our caller put out there. Think about how maybe you dealt with that when it happened to you, if it did, or maybe some some thoughts about how it's happening to you now and, and maybe how you are thinking on dealing with it. We'll talk through. Thanks for being with us on Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Abram Nanny, and we are spending week two on men's mental health and some of the emotional issues that all go along, the family issues, the way others are affected by uh, significant others' mental health, again, whether it is a husband, a spouse, a friend, a lover, a brother, or a child, because there are many of us who are old enough to have adult child who, children who suffer from this. So serious mental illness often is... Um, for whatever reason, our society for many, many years has, for whatever reason, separated brain health from liver health or heart health or whatever. And there seems to be some sort of stigma placed on it. And so it is often an illness that people tend to feel ashamed of hurt, embarrassed by a family member whose behaviors can sometimes be difficult to understand. Or you can be ashamed of your own mental illness. I think what everybody needs to remember is that serious mental illnesses often have a biological component, okay? That means there are neurochemicals out there that are there for you or not for you. There are levels that may not be adequately there through the cause of genetics. They're often not the result of a bad relationship, bad parenting. It's nothing that anybody did wrong. Now, there may be situations out there like like in um, our our caller, our early caller, um, the firefighter, those first responders, many times that chronic stress can produce it. But sometimes you can't even put a finger on why it happened because often it is biologic. And, and if you track back on your family history, often you can pinpoint the individuals who had difficulty not to blame place but to have a better understanding of why this is something not to be ashamed of and why it's important for those around you not to feel like they were the cause okay a lot of times people feel anger about this too and um you know uh 
degree of grief. And that's okay as long as you work through it and come out on the other side and make yourself do the kind of self-talk that says, I can deal with this too. I can work through this also, and I can help you. Now, um, Abram and I were talking about this right before the show, and I talked to my husband. As many of you who listen know, I I run my show ideas uh, by my husband, and we often talk through them. And sometimes Robert has great advice, and sometimes Robert pushes back a little bit on me. And I will say this morning, I said, um, we were talking about how sometimes it is um, hardest for the spouse of someone to to deal with it. But often men and women, when they think something's going on like depression or anxiety or whatever it is, whatever mental issue that is going on, women tend to approach someone differently than men. Would you say that, Abram? I think that's a that's a fair generalization. It, it is um, I a think generalization. So. I think that's fair. Okay. So what I said to my husband is, um, you know, often women are trying to fix it. They want it to be okay. They want you to be okay. And so, you know, I will often, when somebody around me appears to be sad or angry or irritable, and it is not their typical behavior, often I'll say, are you okay? What's going on? Is something wrong? Did I do something to hurt your feelings? So those are typical comments, and I'm talking about myself. And women, if you're out there hearing me say these things, and 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 you are the same, I would appreciate your support. But But those kinds of things. And and so then I said to my husband, I said, So so Robert, what what is what is your typical um response when when you think something is wrong with someone? And he said, I step back and give them time to try to work it out. And Abram's nodding. Yeah, well I think a lot of us respond in the way that we would want someone to respond to us. Ah. So I think your husband's saying that because when he's upset, he would maybe, maybe it's because he would like to, to be left alone. I don't know. Uh, that's just, uh, that's how I am. At least I know that I would like to be, you know, give me a second. I'll, I'll figure this out in a, in a little bit. Just give me a second to be alone. Uh, please don't keep asking me how I'm doing. And what's wrong and how can I fix it? So, yes, that is absolutely the uh, Y chromosome response to uh, I can work it out. I can do it on my own. Let me work through this. Is it the best way to deal with things? The answer, I will tell you, is no. And the reason for that is because what happens is often you ruminate and it rattles around in your head and you are really not problem solving. 
you are continuing to worry about it, to be concerned about it, and to perhaps let it build. And so I'm not saying that continued badgering of what's wrong, what's wrong, tell me, tell me, is the right thing to do. No, that's not. But perhaps a statement like, I can see you're upset about something. Know that I'm here to talk to you if you need to speak with me. Know that I can just be your sounding board. And I I do think that we, um, again, broad generalization, I think we women often don't stop and let about 10, maybe 15 seconds go by to make sure that you're quiet and not jumping into problem solve before you really know what the whole problem is. That art of listening, which is another whole show I'd like to talk about, but but there is an art of listening that sometimes mothers and sisters and spouses don't do very well. We are always trying to solve things, um, give the quick fix instead of giving it time. And I think, uh, again, broad generalization. We have a caller in a minute I'm going to get to because maybe Tom can give us insight in this. But I I do think that um, sometimes there's too much talk and not uh, not enough quiet listening when when women are involved in trying to help somebody they care about. All right, let's go to the phone. We have Tom from Gulfport. Hi, Tom. Thanks for calling. Good morning. Good morning. Excuse me, but I wanted to raise an issue that's related to what we're talking about. Sure. And that is to ensure that or remind employers to give their employees the venue or opportunity to discuss their mental issues or concerns um, privately. Um, I know for a fact uh, from personal experience that by raising any issues, you put up a flag for the human resource department to mark you as someone who has issues. And it prevented me from uh, advancing in certain companies. But there is not uh, really between human resources and in-house counsel a room or opportunity for people to speak confidentiality, confidentially, and uh, get help. So um, I suffered from uh, PTSD, and a lot of issues we're covering today, and uh, never would talk to anyone about that, including my spouse. Hmm. So uh, that's an important area where people have the opportunity to uh, discuss their issues and not feel that they're going to be, uh, it's going to come back to affect them or haunt them later. Yeah. yeah uh, your point is, is an excellent one and very timely. I don't know if you were listening to NPR at the story about the astronauts who um, there, there is a, individual who recently wrote a book, and I wish I could pull up the name, about astronauts and the fact that they hid 
their depression, their anxiety, their their claustrophobia issues, whatever it was, they hid it because they were afraid and it would have immediately hurt their career. And so uh, the same thing, we talked about this last week about airline pilots. Many of them will not disclose that they have anxiety or depression because they are afraid it will affect their livelihood, their flight status. And so we have got to do a better job. It should not, you know, if if a if if a company offers mental health services and says, please, we have these services, if you access them and then they're disclosed to human resources and it potentially affects your job, that sounds like a court case in the making. It really does. That just seems, it's like saying uh, someone, because they have uh, cardiac disease or hypertension, that they are not a candidate for promotion. Or an individual uh, who is tagged because they have a his- history of alcoholism that was treated, that they're tagged, not for promotion. So, Tom, I think you're bringing up uh, an issue that is sort of that covert cause of why often people don't seek help. And I think also that, you know, we talked about last week how work is oftentimes the most common stress contributor to a lot of people. Um, it, it is. So if if someone were to have those resources at work, then then stress and anxiety and depression would probably change a whole lot. So appreciate that call, Tom. All right, thank you. Uh, do you have uh, one more comment? Can I make one more comment? Absolutely. Um, very specifically for people, I'm not speaking um, objective. Or, well, it was, it was a situation where I was working for a large company, and I was interviewed for the possibility of becoming an officer. I did the interview quite openly about my feelings and background and issues, and was then told I was not a candidate to become an officer at that company. Uh, it was just ridiculous. So I left the company and moved on to become a senior vice president at another company, and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it was unbelievable. This one individual could listen to my, uh, what I thought was a confidential discussion, and then put it on my record and ban me from becoming promoted. Wow. But it happened. Well, I'm going to go now, but thank you very much for the program. I hope it helps a lot of people. Thank you, Tom, so much. And I'm glad that Tom left the company and went to another company that clearly appreciated his talents um, because he was promoted. So, I again, I think to for someone like Tom to be able to share – openly talk about the difficulties and how he's dealt with them is something that every single company needs for individuals in leadership 
to one, admit that they perhaps struggled with something and to to talk about the help they got, to talk about coming out on the other side, and which would give hope and would give empathy and caring. If we had more people like that, I think we would all have less individuals refusing to get the help that they need because they're afraid that it's going to harm them ultimately. It's a sad state of affairs. We keep talking about it, but it seems like we're not able to quite make the make the difference. Right. Push through it. Well, I think it's just that like, you know, the whole there needs to be we're talking about a full cultural shift, really. Yeah. And so I think that's a that's a big problem with uh with having to do cover topics like this is like how large scale something like this would have to change. Yeah. Or something would have to be to change something like this. It's a heavy lift, but yeah. if we can just get people to understand the benefits of recognizing the difficulties out there and how it could change company performance, it would it it would be huge. It would be huge. I, I mean, agree. there are people out there who work on this all the time, yet we continue to have individuals in leadership like those in Tom's previous company who don't get it. Just don't get it. We're going to go straight back to the phones, though. Cleon, and is it Carrier? Cleon? Yes, it is. Yes. Thank you for calling. Tell us what your thoughts are. Good morning. Um, I'm calling about uh, somebody who uh, feels hurt and very angry, uh, and he put it in writing. And my first thought was, uh, well, because um, I saw it. And uh, much of it could be ascribed to misunderstanding. But a lot of it is anger over things that never happened. And so was my was there any merit to my idea that they should hang on to this writing so that if they can persuade him to get help, that this would be evidence of what the problem is, or is, is there any downside to their hanging on to this letter? Hmm. So he he wrote the letter to an individual about how he was hurt and angry over an incident that apparently never happened or was misinterpreted. Yeah, there, there, there was a, there there were many incidents that were verifiable, except um, it sounded as if there were just misunderstandings, but. Uh, what what made me think that, that this is far more serious, that this is not just angry, this is sick, uh, is uh, over things that never happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it, would there be any day, if they do keep the letter, in case they can ever get it to with him to a doctor, would that be valuable for a diagnosis, or would it be too dangerous to, to hang on to it? Is there any downside to their keeping that letter? Okay, um, I guess it, it, I, I hear your question. I would probably, if, if there are some issues of threat, are there some concerns that, that this letter has perhaps some issues that are pointing to that individual perhaps wanting to, to, settle what happened in a negative way? Hmm. 
so there might be a downside. Okay, <laughs> as long as I pass my bright idea of keeping the letter on, um, I'll pass that on. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying not to keep it. I guess the what I'm wondering is if it's to prove that the situations that that person in their mind believed a situation happened, that was not real. Um it may be a situation that they interpreted as as real in their own mind. Now, when you're when you're probably there are many people out there, and maybe I'm not following you all the way through this, uh, Cleon, but there are individuals out there who grew up in the same household had the same parenting, had the same situation, and interpret what happened to them very differently. There are individuals who, and and this has been studied over and over again, there are individuals who can be in the same room and witness an action that happened and interpret it very differently. So was it that it never happened, or was it that there was a difference in interpretation? If there is a situation where this for sure can be verified that this absolutely never happened, if this is a loved one who perhaps can help participate in the treating of the mental illness it may be worthwhile to hang on to it just to show some of the 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 signs of um, aberrant thinking. Um, I think if this is something that the individual who has the letter is keeping so that at some point they can try to talk them out of this and it's just proof. I would say I don't see any merit in that. I would probably let it go. But um, if if this is an individual who, who has distorted thinking, uh, that is moving into some pretty serious illness, and, and I would encourage you to help that individual get some help with it, if you can. So the letter could be diagnostic. It could be helpful if you have individuals who truly, truly are, can vouch for the fact that these situations never happened. I think they have that. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Well, you are welcome. I don't know if I helped, but I hope I did. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. All right, take care. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, Mobile with, is it Carrier? Hi there. Hi there. Is it Carrie, Carrier? I'm sorry, it's T like Tom, Terry. Oh, Terry. Hi, Terry. In Mobile, you have some thoughts about um, mental health changes? Yeah? Well... I've got two things, and um, I won't take up a lot of time, but it's just to make people aware because I'm almost 60, and I was totally unaware of both of these things. But um, about four years ago, my my father was going through cancer treatments, and he got an extreme UTI. He was 80 years old. Mm. And 
UTIs in elderly people, I didn't know this was a thing. If if your elderly people in your life start acting just very strange all of a sudden, I mean, he was seeing things. He was, and it can cause mental, seemingly mental issues from an extreme UTI, uh, urinary tract infection. Right. So that. I don't know if you're aware of that, but the nurses and the doctors made me aware of this. So I don't know if you're aware of that. Terry, thank you for that. Yes, this is commonly known, but commonly forgotten in the elderly. And I I really don't know the physiologic reason, but it is a real phenomena that happens often in the aged. Um, And and it actually happened to my um, former in-laws. It happened to my mother. I've seen it happen to close individuals that you can have what I call a silent urinary tract infection that can really change mental status. And there have been individuals who have been put on any psychotic medicine for symptoms that present when in reality, it it was a, a undiagnosed urinary tract infection. So that is a great point as we're talking about mental illness. This can happen to men and women and does. And so before you start thinking about brain tumor, before you start thinking about schizophrenia in an aged person who suddenly presents with those kinds of symptoms and sometimes it can start with just getting quiet and not being themselves and then morph into more psychotic seeming behavior and so this is something good terry i know it's a little bit of a diversion from what we were talking about but not really because it is something that we need to make sure people are aware of and it you know and and if if your provider, if your, if your uh, physician or nurse practitioner does not think about it, ask for it. Ask for a urinalysis. That's all you have to do. Say, I'm concerned this might be a urinary tract infection. Full-blown. So. He, he all of a sudden, full-blown started having psychotic episodes. He was hallucinating. He would mm-hmm. see... 10,000 planes and bugs crawling on the walls, and all it was was a UTI. Yep. And, you know, maybe there was uh, fever involved, but maybe not. Always it's not a high temperature. Obviously, you can get those kinds of hallucinations from uh, high fever. But but often in the aged, their temperature regulation is not what it used to be either. And so that can be a problem, too. So. Gosh, thank you for pointing that out. I think a lot of people during these next several weeks in the holiday season will be around uh, parents. And make sure you keep that in mind. That's something that should sort of be at the top of the list. Dr. Susan, I appreciate you guys so much. I have one other thing that's kind of an odd one, but I'm just going to put it out there. My brother is 62, and since he was probably, I would say, late 20s, early 30s, he all of a sudden kind of started becoming a little not normal, a little anxious, angry, agitated all the time. 
he eventually got mouth cancer in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then when they when they performed the surgery to remove part of his jaw and his tongue, they instead of doing stitches, it's forty percent faster for them to put staples in his mouth. Well, come to find out, there's two dissimilar metals: mercury fillings and stainless steel staples. And we would have never figured this out if he he went kind of off the deep end. And we finally, finally figured out those metals in his mouth were fighting against each other. It was just causing chaos in his in his body, in his brain, in his everything. And so mercury feelings, um, people need to just take a look at if their children or anyone has mercury feelings, it is it can cause brain issues. Hmm. Now I know Almost nothing about that other than to say now there are no one, no one is continuing to use mercury for anything in the body now because we know it it builds up and it can cause uh, a toxic effect. And so uh, hopefully nobody, I wouldn't perhaps in a 60-year-old, I really would have to investigate that, but that's interesting information. And, and certainly mercury toxicity can cause um, mental mental issues. Right. Yeah. Well, he, he, he had, it's called a biological dentist there. It's way different than a just normal box store dentist. He had it biologically, professionally, properly removed because if any of that falls down into your body as they're removing the mercury fillings, it can be detrimental, very detrimental. It's mercury poisoning. But his personality from the moment he got those fillings out of his mouth, he has become, over 30 years, a brand new person that he was in his 20s, 30s. Well, that's it changed his mental health yeah. overnight, literally overnight. That's that's really interesting, Terry, and and I'm I'm going to have to check more into that. So. Thank you for that. Yeah, nobody needs mercury in their body unless it's an accidental dose. I mean, and and you don't need it then. It's not good for you. Although we are all, all exposed a little to that because it's everywhere in our environment. All right, Terry, great call. Thank you for calling. Don't forget the UTIs in your aged parents for sure or loved ones. All right, let's... Jane has been waiting. Jane, where are you from? Um, hi, Pastor Christian. Ah, oh, very good. Hi, love that area. Hi. Yeah, well, no kick coincidence. I was outside and I came in and I just happened to turn on MPB Think Radio on my TV. So there you are. E- <laughs> because what? I have major men's mental health issue problems. Well, talk to us about it. Well, yeah, there's not enough time to go through all of this, but I have an adult son who his whole life has had, you know, mental health issues. And when he was younger, I could actually get him help. But, of course, as they become, you know, older, 18 or whatever, you can't make them take medicine or whatever. And um, he's just gotten a lot worse. He has a lot of isms, and he can't get it together ever. He's really brilliant, but, you know, every woman leaves him, every job he quits or they fire him where he's afraid to even get one but the main thing is is that he's gotten like really emotionally 
violent. He's a bully. He breaks things. Like, we had a really bad episode the last couple of days. He's huge. He's very big, and he actually shoved me. And then he stole money out of my bank account. And, you know, I, I, I go to all these other self-help programs. I've been through the NAMI training. I've been through, you know, the 12-step program through the course. He's got um, some addictions now. And, you know, I'm a really peaceful, quiet, mindful, practicing person, and I love him, but I have no support. And everyone for years has just said, just put him out, put him out, put him out. Well, I've tried that. That doesn't work. And I I'm, I feel sorry for him, and yet I can't stand being around him. It makes me really anxious and nervous. So I'm, I'm at a standstill here. It's like... There are a couple times I have called the sheriff, but I can't seem to walk through that big final door of actually taking major action. He needs help desperately. He, he's delusional. I mean, he, he believes in other conspiracy theories, you know, going on. Mm-hmm. Much internet. And I can't even have one conversation. He raises his voice, like, really fast. And so, right. you know, he's very effective. Well, let me... Let me tell you that it sounds like you have have done everything that you could do to make a difference except one. And I'm this is a hard one. This is really difficult, but I'm going to tell you it sounds like it's absolutely necessary and necessary before you get hurt or before he hurts someone else seriously and ends up in prison. And that is to to do to go through the process of a forcible commitment for him, so that and and what this is is that you have to go through legal proceedings, you have to go to court, and you have to have other witnesses to talk through why this needs to happen. But it sounds like he is dangerous, and it sounds dangerous to himself and dangerous to you, at least, if not other people around. And so I'm going to tell you that... You need to go through that process of uh, an adjudicated commitment. It's not easy. I know people who have done it, but it ha- it but it works, and it will protect him and protect you. And so, I, I really I think that that is one of those things I would encourage you to reach out to NAMI or another support group on how to do that because it sounds like you're at the point that you need to do it. And I know I'm sounding very firm, but this this is a scary situation and you need help. Now, what, what group was that that you said? NAMI, the National Association of Mental... Mm, it's <laughs> N-A-M-I. I'm going to have to... Pull that up. Maybe you can in our last minute as we are we are going through this. But it's a good supportive organization. Um, the the other uh, group that does a really good job on on mental health issues is Families as Allies, run by Joy Hogue. Families as Allies, and I don't have that that um, phone number for you right now. It's mostly a child organization, but they do they can they can help you with the knowledge in in this. So I would encourage you to go forward and do that. 
Yeah, so so families as allies is www.faams.org. And then NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. That's NAMI.org. NAMI.org. National Alliance for Mental Illness. I'm sorry, NAMI out there. I've used you so many times, and I think you're wonderful. But I would encourage you to do that. Do you think you can move forward in that? I hope so. Okay. It sounds like you still have a really incredibly good attitude. That's great. But I really do want you to protect yourself. Okay. I hope you will do that. Kat, you are on the line, and I'm so sorry we couldn't get to you. But give us a call next, next show. You always contribute so much. Okay, I want to thank everyone for your listening and for your calls. We we went through a really important topic, men's mental mental health. So, again, if you'd like to hear this show or a complete show or any other podcast, please go to your favorite favorite podcast episode. You can listen um, by searching Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, engineered by my producer, Abram Nanny. Our call screener was Charles Arnold and, Arnold, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday for 11... For at 11 for Relatively Speaking. Stay tuned for Here and Now coming up next after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.